0: The Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. I'm Nick. I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. We are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual live
1: stream for The Cure is only a couple weeks away.
0: Every single dollar raised
1: goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, donations will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com
0: to make an early donation and to learn more about the event. Together, we can make a difference. Bella and I will be taking part in this event on the 28th of May at 4pm Eastern Standard Time. Head over to livestreamforthecure.com and find out a little bit more about how to get connected to that, but we will also be sharing all of the information via our social media, via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., and also on our website. So if in doubt, get in touch, we can always point you in the right direction. And until then, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast, with your hosts Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 77 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast.
2: I'm telling you, we're almost in triples.
0: I know, I can't wait to get to 100. Hmm. I mean podcasts, obviously not anything else. <laughs> we have got a really interesting guest for you today so without any further ado let's get straight on to it. righty then let's go. Today we have with us a man who's been on our show twice before and was a hit both times. We've covered some of his other books on the previous shows which were the A to Z of Curious Whales and Ghosts of Wales: Accounts from the Victorian Archives. Today we'll be talking about his new offering Paranormal Whales. Outside of print, he's a speaker and presenter of arts-based documentaries and radio shows, and a regular guest expert for national and international media, including the BBC. He's arguably Wales' leading authority on the curious and paranormal aspects of the country's history. He's also a funny, genuine and nice bloke. Please welcome back, by popular demand, Mark Rees. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hi. Hello. Do you know
1: what? That's the first time I've heard that that sort of bio read out aloud. Because I've seen my publisher use bits of it and things. But it sounds—it's—it's it's quite embarrassing when you hear it right back to you like that. I'll have to tone that down.
0: I'm sorry, then. <laughs> uh, See, Mark Racy's a bit rubbish, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, uh, See,
2: I was yeah. going to say that you, you're just trying to butter him up for something, but we don't know what the something is. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. If you, if no. Flattering yes. him. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I it's—it's mean, you know, it's, it's all true. It's not lies, but it, it just sounds a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, be- that's the best introduction I've ever had anywhere, so thank you very much. No problem at all,
0: no problem at all. So you've been busy anyway since we last spoke?
1: Very, very busy, yes. I've written two books since we last spoke. Only one of them's hit the shelves so far, which is Paranormal Wales. And thanks to the whole lockdown situation, I'm, I'm writing a third book as well at the moment, so busy, busy, busy times.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because some of the authors that we've spoken to have said that this is actually given them the time they need to write almost without distraction, and others are saying they just can't seem to write a word despite being locked in the house
1: yeah i mean i mean my my plan for this year after finishing the last book w- was to take a break because you know I've, I've burnt myself out recently and it's it's weird how things happen is that I, I finished the last book and said right that's me done for the year and now i'm locked in the house with nothing else to do so you know i'm straight back into it and you know it, it's it's perfect for me because i am I, I i think if you're a writer you've got to be a bit of a sort of a An anti-social sod anyway, and sitting in the house on your own all the time. So (laughs) being locked in isn't isn't that bad. And I'm quite lucky, you know. I I live in quite a a rural part of Wales, so you know, it's I can go walking in the forests, come home, do some writing. So, touch wood, you know, it's 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 working out quite quite nicely for me.
2: See, I was all, like, gung-ho and busy the first couple of weeks. Now I just don't care.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Bella, she creates lists which are called honey-do's.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: And it's basically a list that says honey-do this, honey-do that. I see. And so, yes, I've had my lists. And luckily, because she's now lost interest in sort of all all things uh, (laughs) house-related, my lists have waned as well. So I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm loving life now. So does that mean your house
1: is, is spotless now then? The, the list's been cleared and you've, you've done everything that needs to do in ever. Do you know what? No, there's, it's, there's, just,
2: it's called me being lazy. I see.
0: There's two things that I need to do that are left to do DIY-wise, which I'll get done within a day if I put my mind to it. But uh, I just haven't put my mind to it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, yes, d- I yeah. did give you a nice prompt about it the other day. Yeah. What about
0: painting the horse stairs and landing? I'll no, tell you what you can you do with that. Nutball,
2: <laughs> uh, you know, I, there are two things left, and I and I said, "What are you going to do today?" And you said something, and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess we we won't do that today then, or that today then." And you were like, "No." So- oh, so you're,
0: that was that was a reverse psychology thing. You're expecting me to take that with you and and say, "No, I'm going to do it anyway."
2: Yeah, but I should have <laughs> known because psychology is. So- of the mind and well hmm.
0: <laughs> oh thank you very much
1: what do you think of that Mark I think you're going to be a busy man after this, aren't you? I, I think I am. I think I'm going to have Finish to... Finish the conversation, back to work.
0: Exactly. I think I'm going to have to get yeah. the jobs done just so that I can shut yeah. her up. Um... <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, let's get yeah. back onto the book. In the description yes. of the book on Amazon, it mentions Wales as being the most haunted country in the world. Yes. Is that a true statement? And if so, why do you think that's so? <laughs> it, 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 it
1: kind of is, although that statement has come to back to sort of bite me on the backside a few times now, and I wish I'd left it out. But um, I, I wrote that well when I was first sort of um pitching the book to the publisher, the idea was it's it's just like a greatest hits of, of Wales's famous supposedly haunted places. It is claimed that Wales is the most haunted place in, in the in the universe. But it's not quite as straightforward as that. It's based on things like Wales is supposed to have the most castles in, yeah. in the world or in Europe or whatever it is. And so, based on that, if every one of those castles has got a ghost in it, then it would be the most haunted place in the world with the most haunted castles if you kind of follow that kind of that kind of route
2: and they probably all do have some sort of aspect of it don't they there's always a story oh so and so this and i went there and you know i tripped on the second step coming down and it was a ghost that did it because somewhere in its history something happened on that staircase or whatever it so yeah I get it
1: yeah that's where the Norman Lord had his head chopped off and now the white lady's pushing me down the steps type story yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes you can argue that Wales is the most haunted country in the world but I'm I'm pretty sure you know using that example somebody in 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 Ireland or France wherever you might be could probably put up a good argument as well but there you go it's out there now Wales Wales is the most haunted place in the world for
2: today (laughs) right
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, in the book there's loads of amazing stories in there and you've broken the book up into sections haven't you
1: yes well it starts with uh appropriately enough with castles because castles is a big part of wales to be honest i could have quite easily have filled an entire book with castles but uh that wasn't that wasn't the brief so then i've got another section on sort of places with uh historical context uh, to wales i mean obviously castles are historical but it's places like th- those with a connection to our uh, our industrial heritage and you know the sort of places that really make wales known there's one on pubs and hotels a very popular place for ghosts to go pubs and hotels and that lets me make the old joke about two kinds of spirits in the pub every time i mention pubs <laughs> one on uh, the grand sort of mansions and and the you know the, the sort of real um the places the the elite would have lived in in the past which are now usually sort of national trust kind of properties and i've wrapped it up with one on cultural landmarks so that's places like the theatre and places which are supposed to be haunted by opera stars and artists and, and that side of things.
0: You talk about an amazing story, actually, in the section about Rutherland Castle. Yes. And there was a legend based around... Erilda, is it? And it's a beautiful and yet tragic tale that yeah. actually sort of encompasses a supernatural and a paranormal. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that story?
1: Yeah, well, in the late 18th century when um, the first gothic piece of fiction was published by uh, Horace Walpole, it was published anonymously and the idea was these works of fiction because it was a work of fiction were sort of long lost tales that somebody had found and put out into the world to sort of scare people with. And in Wales we had this book called Welsh Legends which was published anonymously in 1802. It was written by someone called William Earle. It was probably written as a work of fiction. But as with these things, you can never know for certain or whether it was based in reality. And the story is, as you mentioned, it's quite a tragic one. I'll, I'll sort of cut it down slightly for the sake of this podcast. But the princess from uh, the castle came across this very mysterious knight. He was called the Knight of the Blood Red Plume because he had a blood red plume in the top of his armor, which was all black. And I mean, he was described as very much like the, the hero in a, in a rom-com or something. You know, he had those kind of dreamy eyes and that kind of thing. <laughs> and w- when she saw him, it, it, it was just that kind of, you know, that magical kind of, there was something scary, but something quite appealing about this knight. But they had a feed-in visit. You know, she was out singing or playing music, whatever she was doing, saw the knight and he was gone. Now, she was due to be married. And it was quite an important marriage because it had been arranged by the parents, by the kings. And this marriage would unite Wales at the time. Wales was broken up by sort of feud in warlords and they, not warlords, but sort of feud in parts of Wales. And the idea was that by her marrying a prince, that would unite two parts of Wales. However, she'd been distracted by this knight with the greeny eyes and just just couldn't get this man out of her head. As a a way to distract herself, she went hunting. And while she was hunting, she was pretty good. And she caught a deer with her, I think it was an arrow she shot it with, Hurt a deer but didn't kill the deer. The deer ran off into the forest. She gave chase on her horse. And by the time she found this deer, night had fallen and she found herself lost in the forest totally alone until who should turn up surprise surprise but this knight with a blood-red plume emerged from the trees saw this this damsel in distress and offered to take her home so when he took her back to the castle and he met the king and the king was very very pleased that you know this kind gentleman this, this knight had gone out of his way to bring his daughter back safely to him he was invited to stay in the castle now, obviously, having the two of them together in that castle didn't do much good for helping her, you know, f- forget about this man. It was the opposite. In the end, he said, look, I'd better go because your-, your husband the bees, on his way. This is quite a big wedding. I can't-, I can't stick around and mess this up for you. But he gave her a ring. This is where things do get a bit fantastical. He gave her a ring and said, look, if you ever need me, you can summon me with this ring. And the idea was, you know, if she was in trouble in years to come, she could do that. She couldn't wait for years, though she waited minutes pretty much. So he went... She called him back, and he said, look, okay, I'm here now. We're going to have to escape. We're going to have to elope. We're going to have to run away, because there's no way they're going to let us be together. That night, under the cover of darkness, they sneaked out of her room, and they decided to—well, they didn't decide. He had a coracle on the, the river nearby that they were both going to escape onto. The idea was they'd sneak out, avoid the guards, run down to the coracle and sail off. It didn't take them long though until the guards were alerted and they, they were trying to sneak off and a party of, sort of dogs and everything started chasing after them and they ran as quickly as they could towards the river. As they got there, she felt a hand, the princess felt a hand on her back and turned around to see who had caught her, you know, when one of the chasers had caught her. Bertwald Give her a knife to defend. I should have mentioned this earlier, actually. Wirtwald gave her a knife to defend herself with. And when she turned, without thinking, he shouted, stab him! And she stabbed this man with the knife, killing him. She killed the pursuer. This is much more dramatic than the real story, but turns out it was her father that she'd just killed. Jumped on the coracle, and the two of them sailed off. They'd escaped, but in quite a tragic circumstance because you know she'd, she'd killed her father trying to escape. And as she was on the coracle, crying, Obviously quite upset by what had happened. Wordworld just laughed at her. Didn't console her. He was laughing. And it wasn't your normal laugh. It was quite a demonic laugh. And turns out he then transformed into a demon, who his mission, I know this this probably isn't real, is it? But he turned into this demon. (laughs) What made you think that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He pretty much said that, look, this whole thing was a big setup. And the reason I did it is to make sure that Wales keeps fighting with itself. Because if Wales is at war... That's more people killing themselves or killing each other. That's more deaths. That's all music for the devil's ears. That's exactly what he wants. And with that, he stuck his trident into the princess, threw her body into the water, and was gone.
2: And they lived happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh,
0: not.
1: (laughs) Yes. The reason I've included that in the book is, I mean, besides being uh, quite a fantastical story, even though it probably isn't true, is that people have since then reported seeing ghosts there which kind of connect with the princess and with the demon. And by all accounts, people have seen the ghost of a girl being chased by some demonic thing around the castle. So I quite like that link in sort of um, reality and fiction in a way. So, I mean, whether there's any truth, I don't know. But it was, I just thought it was a nice, nice story to include.
0: It was, and it was really interesting to read. And I'm glad that you read it, or, or not read it, but recanted it in the way that you did. Because in the book, it actually mentions that the Wartwald actually told her to blow on his ring to summon him and i thought <laughs> if you mention it like that bella's just going to go there <laughs> bella's just going
2: <laughs> to
0: fall off her chair here
2: i was biting my tongue <laughs> Yes. Well, I, I, I didn't
1: say that to stop you from laughing. I, I said that because I've had, it's the first time I've told the story, I think, in person, so i got it.
0: But uh, <laughs> no, n-
1: next time, I'll make sure there's lots of ring blowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: You talk about a few places that we've actually visited, one of which is Lankajach Fower and this is quite a popular tourist attraction in this part of Wales, owing oh, to the way the staff dressed and act in, in character while they take you on the <laughs> tour of the property. Can you tell yes. us about this account in your book?
1: Yeah, I mean, Llan Kayak is one, one of the nicer ones, actually, because I, I, I tried my best to sort of contact everyone involved with this book. Some places, some places I left out, actually, because they just wanted nothing to do with it. They were like, no, get away from us We've nothing to do with ghosts, mm. you know. Don't mention us. Llancajach were very, very cool. There's some nice pictures in there, actually. You mentioned the staff dressed up, of the staff dressed, dr- staff dressed up, which they sent me to use. Yeah. What they did say, <laughs> which makes things a bit tricky, is they've got ghost tours and things, which have got some secrets on. And they didn't want me blow in all their secrets by publishing them all in a book, because then no one would turn up on the tour. So, so what I will say is, if you read this and you enjoy the Llancajach bit, pop along in person as well, because there are some other bits you know which which you can only get by by walking around but Plan Kayak is i mean for those who don't know it it's it's a museum which has been made to look like it's still the year 1645 inside which was quite an important year for the people there uh, this was during the english civil war and it was colonel edward pritchard who owned the property at the time um, and he switched allegiances so he was a royalist he switched and the the sort of the the museum now tells the story of what was going on and and the house if you if you go to the house you'll find that it's it's really well fortified it's not like a cozy house it's almost like sort of half castle in in the way that it's sort of built to to protect the people inside in case something goes wrong um as as it could well do you know do, during the English Civil War but the the most famous ghost weirdly has nothing to do with that period it's it's a Victorian ghost it's a ghost called Martha or matty that they call her as a nickname and this ghost it's it's your typical sort of floating white lady type ghost and she is if you believe the story, although there's no proof of this that I could find, is, is supposed to have burnt to death in the house, um, some horrible accident. And now she comes back to haunt it with all the usual sort of sounds of her clothes rustling and temperatures dropping and full apparitions appearing to some people and waking them in their sleep. So Matty really is know, the perfect ghost. She does the whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Best story, actually, I found of that was uh, it was published on the BBC about Halloween time a year or two ago about the South African rugby team, the under 21s who paid a visit. And the captain of the team broke down in tears in the room she was said to be haunting. And he, you know, he couldn't explain it, but he just had to get out of there. And when he got out, he said, you know, that that room, whatever was in that room made him cry. So whether or not that was Maddie putting her, her sadness onto him, you know, she had died in quite a horrible circumstances, and she was passing that feeling onto him, whatever it was, I don't know. But it's quite nice to have a witness, quite a recent witness, sort of, you know, backing up what other people have said for many years. And quite a high profile one as well. I mean, if you're a the captain of a rugby team, you know, it's it's not the sort of stereotypical person who might be, you know, watching the X Files and looking for these things. You know, it's quite a, it's sort of a, it's a macho thing, isn't it? Rugby. So uh, you know, have to have someone like that crying. Um, you know, it's,
0: it's a different twist on it as well. Yeah, I, I think that he wouldn't have set that up himself. You know, he wouldn't have, you know, sometimes I've been on ghost hunts myself and you know that there's a couple of people, it's always the same people. Oh, mm. I just got pinched or I just got pushed or I just got scratched. It's always the same ones every single time, same people. And so, yeah, like you said, I can't see this big, burly rugby player, only 21, so, so still, mm. or under 21s, so still... Yeah you know at that time of his life where reputation is everything would yeah. would want to set himself up to to cry in in a room and I, you mentioned the yeah. room actually in the book and and I know the one that you're talking about
1: yeah no I so said I think Kirk, they were um you know of, of all the people that I mean there's quite a few places in this book but they sort of went above and beyond helping me with it and it, you know and it's a wonderful place and what what I like is as you mentioned, there's, al- there's always the odd person who goes to this place and says, oh, I've been pushed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But you can kind of put that one side with Lankaya because it's just a cool historical building regardless. Um, and it just happens to have these really <laughs> extra cool ghost stories connected to it as well.
0: I've got to say that I learned a lot on that tour, because of the way they present it, the way, as I said, they're in period costume, the way they speak to you, it, it was it was an amazing experience. I've been there twice actually; it was a really amazing experience.
1: Yes, yes, that that's that's my bit for Welsh tourism for the
0: day now. Yeah, actually, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll have to yeah. uh, hashtag them into the uh, into the Twitter <laughs> yeah. when we when we advertise this.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you've spoken too about the South Stack Lighthouse. To
1: be honest, the reason I actually came across this is because. Um, I, I think it's really important in my books. If, it, if it's called Paranormal Wales, it, it should cover all of Wales. You know, I, I can't just say I'm from Patalbert. So it's going to be all about Patalbert ghosts. You know, I've got to cover the whole lot. And this was the most remote ghost story I could find right off, you know, off Anglesey, right off into the Irish Sea on on, on this lighthouse, which is probably you know, the, the last bit of Wales you'll see before you go off to Ireland. And the story, it's quite, again, it's like Llancaiach. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting historical story regardless it just so happens it ends horribly, and, and now there's a ghost story connected to it. But there was a, a great storm which just wrecked the Irish Sea. I mean, it, it was so great. It was called the Great Storm. That's the name of the storm. Hundreds and hundreds of people died. Hundreds of people lost their lives at sea. It is said, again, how much truth you can put this, but some of the people who died were gold prospectors coming back from Australia on their way to Liverpool. So they were sort of, you know, going around Wales that way. And rather than lose their gold, they actually strapped all these bars of gold to their belts and things to try and swim to safety with it. Wow. Um, and that, that just dragged them down. <laughs> uh, I know yeah. it, it's obvious now, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. So yeah, I mean, it was it was a horrible, horrible thing. Even, even uh, Charles Dickens uh, came to visit uh, after the storm. You know, because it was that that big news that you know it was attracting people like Dickens to come and sort of pay their respects and things. And I, I think he mentioned it in one of his um, one of his books not his not his works of fiction, but one of his one of his books. Pretty much the only people who could do anything. to to help the boats at sea at that time with the people manning the South Stack Lighthouse. There was a keeper there, always the keeper, and they always had their, their assistant. Now, the assistant at the time when the storm broke was somewhere else on the island, and he had to pretty much run as quickly as he could to get to the lighthouse to help out the main man. Although, actually, I, I say main man. There was also a main woman there as well. So it, it was uh, equal opportunities working in the lighthouse. There. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> but uh, he, he he ran as quickly as he could. And I don't know if anyone knows South Stack Lighthouse. If not, it's it's probably worth popping on Google and doing a quick look at this because the, the bridge leading to it is, I mean, even back then, it's been rebuilt since. But back then... It's like the kind of bridge Indiana Jones would run across and and things would go wrong. You know, it was really (laughs) a scary looking bridge with a big drop.
2: You've got like a picture in your book of it. Yes.
1: I I had a picture which actually shows looking down. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) There are some
1: nasty rocks down there. It's It's not a nice place to be falling. But you didn't fall, luckily. But uh, it was just as bad as he was running there. Rocks came loose from the, from the cliffs above. And uh, One of these rocks came, landed crack on his head, and pretty much knocked him senseless. And there was, there was blood pouring out and all, all sorts of grisly details. <laughs> and yet, he persevered, got over that bridge, got to the lighthouse, and tried banging on the door to get in. His bangs were not heard over the storm. And it wasn't until the next day that the keeper came out when things had died down a bit and found his body slumped outside, not in a good way. He wasn't dead by this point, and they did get him to hospital. But, I mean, the the injury and being left outside, you know, he didn't last much longer afterwards. And nowadays, the ghostly things there have all been attributed to him, you know, which, you know, if you, if you believe the story, they they kind of add up. The ghost is said to be banging on the door, uh, looking in the windows, trying to attract attention in, in this remote spot. I did like one detail about it, where uh, <laughs> the ghost is said to be making these eerie squawking noises, which somebody pointed out that there's a bird reserve right next to it yeah. and it's probably the puffins uh, or whatever birds they've got there make it those those kind of supernatural noises <laughs> but it's certainly not the puffins banging on the door to get in so so that side bit is meant to be the ghost
0: I did like the fact that you actually included that though because there are a lot of people who write about the paranormal that will just stick to the paranormal elements of the story if you like and then not offer any other explanations
1: yes I mean I, m- most, most of the reviews that, that I sort of see of my work People do say that, you know, my, my approach is very journalistic because, you know, that's I, I'm a journalist by trade. And hopefully, you know, if I'm doing my job correctly, then that's what it should be. You know, I'm not trying to convince people ghosts are real or they're not. You know, all, all I'm saying is, here's the facts. You know, you, you use, use your own brain, really, and mm. make in your own mind what you think is going on. So, so yes, all, all of those bits, they all go into the book.
2: I thought that the story of the hotel in Neath, where the guy's sitting there reading his paper and then, you know, knows somebody's sitting next to him or whatever, and then lowers the he paper the f- and he's
1: he just sees like, his
0: feet, doesn't he? Yeah.
1: I, mean, I, I should give credit um, for the Neath one, uh, is courtesy of Robert King. I've never known anyone to write so many ghost books on one small area. Really, he he's, he's published a few books now. Just just underneath, and the ghosts there. And I, and I met up with Robert just to make sure that these stories. Because some of some of his books are a bit old now. But I I met up with him, and he was very kind to sort of show me exactly where these things happened, and to confirm that people are still seeing ghosts there nowadays. So this is all relevant and you know bang up to date. And the the ghost you mentioned was that what he called the cavalier. Whatever a cavalier addresses in, This is what this ghost was said to be wearing. And the man was reading his paper, and he could see that you know the legs next to him. So he knew there was somebody there. And as he moved his eyes up from the legs, he could see the body wearing the the cavalier body stuff. And then when he put his paper down to look at the person's face, there was no head. And then they disappeared. And then they were gone. So so that's that one. But there's lots of other little things. The Castle Hotel is quite handy because it's got one of the best Christmas ghost stories that I've come across. People love ghost stories of Christmas. So I can use this one forever now. (laughs) <laughs> um, to tell you the story, with with gold or sunshine outside and <laughs> spring is in blue, is a bit weird. Uh, when when this sort of happened, it was Christmas Eve. The hotel locked up. They rung last orders, kicked everyone out, and there was just the assistant manager and one member of staff left downstairs waiting to go home. When they heard what what sounded like someone running about upstairs, and when they went back up to the hotel bit, they found all the doors which had been closed and locked were open again. All the lights were turned on in all the rooms. And they thought, well, this is a bit weird because we're the only people in the building.
2: Just a tad.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and even if we weren't, why would they be opening locked doors and turning lights on and things?
2: Mm.
1: So they, they locked up again and they said we'd better tell the owner who, who came around to investigate himself, brought his dog with him and three of them plus dog went upstairs to have a look around. The doors were open again. The dog went a bit crazy instead of darting around, barking in each room. And again, they couldn't find anyone. And then that was the end of that for that night. Didn't happen again then. But what is interesting is that two years later, somebody again hear this running around on Christmas Eve. So whatever this is, ghost or, or prankster, they seem to like messing around in the castle hotel in Neath on Christmas Eve. So um, if anyone is looking for Christmas ghosts, Neath is, uh, Neath is the place to be, really. Neath or Dickensian London.
0: Uh, yeah. it would really wind me up to be honest with you having that kind of ghost i mean the kind of ghost that just sort of like walks around upstairs or whatever i could i could handle but one that's actually costing me money turning all the lights on would really would really wind me yeah. up i think
1: maybe yeah. <laughs> they you want make- the
0: opposite yeah, yeah. exactly turn yeah, t- exactly turn the lights off maybe do a bit of washing yeah. <laughs> you know get yes. get the laundry yeah. done yeah. A bit of ironing would be nice they're just you know? looking
2: yeah. it was just looking for a place to put a christmas tree that's all
0: that's probably what it <laughs> yes. was. yeah yeah <laughs> When I was a a child, I remember a school trip. In fact, most children, I suppose, in South Wales went on this trip, and that was to St Fagans. And I remember, Mm. uh, well, actually, I can't remember a lot about my trip at all. There was certainly nothing the teachers really spoke about that I remember. I remember running around with my mates and looking for the next place to buy an ice cream. But yeah, I can't remember much about the facts. Had they been armed with the type of stories that you tell about St. Fagans and yes. the Welsh Museum itself, I think I would have paid more attention.
2: Is it true that they actually moved everything from one place to another? Uh, all the buildings and everything, and recreated them again with the stones.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- this is what, what's really u- unique about St. Fagans, uh, you know, in, in the world. And what makes it really interesting for, from a ghostly point of view is that they, they they had the estate to begin with. I mean, that's where the name comes from, St. Fagans. But then all of the buildings inside are all historical buildings that have been relocated from throughout Wales. Yeah. so places that have got a connection with you know the with the, the mining industry or the iron industry or wherever you know they might be have been moved there you know from from right again back to Anglesey again you know, they've been brought down to Cardiff and if you believe the stories which some people are you know they, they feel quite strongly about this that ghosts are attached to a building rather than you know the, the earth beneath them and mm-hmm. in theory if you're moving these buildings around you're moving the ghosts around as well and if you go plonk in 40 of these buildings <laughs> next to each other, all with their ghosts in. Yeah. That's going to be quite, quite a weird collection of ghosts that you've got going on in one sort of one small little place. And that's, in theory, what could be happening in St. Fagin's.
2: It's just weird. I wonder why they decided to move them all.
0: Well, so it was to make a museum, to actually create the museum. They wanted to create the authentic idea of what Wales yeah. is like in a different way. I mean, areas. the
2: money involved in that, though. And I'd be really pissed if I moved them and somebody forgot a brick. I'd be like, look. <laughs> You need <laughs> to go back.
0: <laughs> I yeah. was I was thinking more about all the Welsh ghosts that would be in these in these properties, and then getting relocated yeah. into this, to to all intents and purposes, is a council estate in the middle of, in the middle of mm. St Fagans.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I mean the errors as well. Because, I mean you can have people from you know centuries ago ne- next to some Victorians, maybe next to someone from the forties. It's going to be quite a mix of uh, mix of people there. Yeah,
2: I haven't been there yet. You see.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Okay, I got the hint on that one. Yeah, excellent. So I've got to take that <laughs> there. Right, yeah. check. Ruthin Castle, back to castles. You mentioned that in your book, and I have to ask you this question. Would you or have you ever put your arm through the wall, as you say in your <laughs> book, to shake hands with whatever diabolical entity dwells on the other side? And I suppose we will call this the gory hole. Oh my. <laughs>
1: um- I, should, I, should, I probably shouldn't go answering questions about glory holes that are being recorded <laughs> I no, know, no. Right? no I, said, I said
0: gory hole <laughs> go to, on the internet yeah no I said um, gory
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but I mean th- this one and, and even though it's a castle this one is it, it's the hotel but yeah I mean you know, I'd, I'd give it a go and there's the, there's the ladies walk there and things as well that you know I think even though most of these things are based on based on folklore rather than anything sort of concrete you know you, you've got to get into the spirit of things I and mean, you can go along with it and, and, and I know Ruff, Ruffin Castle is a very it's a very popular place where it was until the whole lockdown scenario, with sort of organised ghost tours and things as well. So I'm pretty sure if anyone wanted to go there, you know, there's loads and loads of events to go and stick your arm in the gory hole and uh, all, all the other bits and bobs.
0: Yeah. I wonder, uh, we've we've named that. We should trademark that now, yeah, because because yes. they've uh, yeah that that'll be used, I'm sure.
1: Yes. Well, I think I think I think they've just got new owners there, so yeah, maybe if they're uh, looking for new ideas. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got the uh, Skirrid Inn next to us, or, or quite near to us. It's only about a fifteen-minute drive from where yep. we are, and that's somewhere yes. where I have taken Bella, so she can't moan about this one. Um, <laughs> it is yeah. considered to be Wales's oldest pub. You tell us in the book.
1: Well, the, the Skirrid Inn is a, is a really interesting one, and it's one of the reasons I'm quite glad I was able to write this book and include it because a, a, a lot of my work is based on researching like the Victorian book, going back to the Victorian times, the Edwardian times, and older than that, to, to find old stories connected to places. The oldest story I can find connected to the Skerrid Inn is from Peter Underwood, who who was the ghost hunter extraordinaire who covered all of the UK in, in the 70s. And he wrote in the late 1970s that when he went to the Skerrid, there was only supposed to be one ghost there. It was quite a friendly ghost. It didn't hurt anyone. And as such, it wasn't really worth mentioning. Now, if you fast forward to nowadays, the Scared Inn is the most haunted place in the universe. And there's people, there's things being thrown about and people screaming and and, and it's just absolutely bonkers there. And all, all the sort of the ghost hunting TV shows, all the, the most haunted and those kind of, kind of shows, all go to scare it in. People fly over from America to scare it in because it's so haunted. And I just find it fascinating that this place was not haunted at all until quite recently. And now it's gone absolutely bonkers. So what has happened to change it? And that, that is pretty much what I was looking for in the book. And I spoke to some people who who spent a lot of time there investigating it and they were convinced that there's something really not right going on there but at the same time none of the stories quite quite add up like like it's supposed to be haunted by Judge Jeffreys, quite a famous ghost there. And yet there's no real hard evidence that Judge Jeffreys ever went there. So there's all these sort of interesting things with the scurried that I was trying to look into. As you mentioned with the oldest pub, again, it's said to be the oldest pub, but is it the oldest pub? Well, we don't know. Well, we think it was built on some other pub maybe, and that other pub might be the oldest pub. And there's so many ifs and buts and maybes. That I, I think that sort of mystique around it is what's is what's attracting people there, as, as well as all the, the bonkers activity that people claim is, is going on there as well. But either way, it's, it's, it's a fascinating place, you know, and it's somewhere that I think anyone with an interesting ghostly thing should, should, you know, pop along and visit like you two have done.
2: It's bizarre, really, because a pub and a courthouse and they hang you as well.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that, was that was like... the, in in the skirrid. You can actually—I don't know if you've done this yourself, Mark. If you go from the front bar out to the beer garden, you will yeah. pass under what they're calling is the hanging beam, and yes. you can actually put your hand above the beam and actually feel the grooves where yeah. the rope actually yeah. burnt through the wood or yes. wore through the wood, and uh, that's that's quite. That's quite a thing. I, I mean, I've touched that, and I picked you up, didn't I? To, mm-hmm. So that you could touch it. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's quite an eerie feeling to feel that ridge and know that that ridge was created because someone was swinging on the other end of it.
1: Yes, yes, and, and they're the kind of things that it, it would be nice to sort of verify in some way, because you know, as you said, you know, that, that's where the rope was. So, so you'd hope that you know there'd be some some book, probably not not photographic evidence from back then, but you'd hope there'd be some historical record that there's somewhere sort of mentioning about these things. And and there's there's so many so many blanks that need to be filled in. Then that it, you know it would be really it's a sh- it's a shame really that you know no, nobody mentioned it until until Peter Underwood in the nineteen seventies.
2: Because
1: mm. before that we don't really know from from a ghostly point of view what what was going on there at all, if anything. So yeah, it, it's fascinating that you know there's 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 a lot of things there that we need to I think to I think somebody maybe me one day need, needs to you know, really sit down and put a lot of time into actually working out. Where these things have come from. Is is it you know, is it really where Judge Jeffreys hung these people? If so, when did he do it? Who did he kill? How many did he kill? Where did he hang them from? You know, all, all these things that we kind of need concrete answers to rather than just lovely stories.
2: Why on earth would you hang people and then it's a pub? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Well it's this
0: repurposed, just... isn't it? No, I know, it's like, it's I know. Like I'm old just saying upcycling.
2: I'm yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Somebody looked at it and went, hmm, you know, that's where we used to hang people, and that's where we used yeah. to tr- put them on trial. I know. Let's turn it into yeah. a pub.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And you know, there's lots of other really sort of cool little legends attached to the scarlet, like um, Owen Glendour. Apparently, you know, gathered his men there together. And you know, again, this is one of these stories that's passed passed on. You know. <laughs> but where did they come from? We have no idea. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a fascinating place. Now, you know, as I mentioned, it's somewhere I'd really like to spend a bit more time, sort of, you know, digging into the facts. Really, M- maybe one day, maybe one day, a book just about the scary if they will let me.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. What was your favourite story in the book?
1: But my number one favourite, not not just in the book, actually, I think in in Wales is the Prince of Wales pub in Canfig. Ah, Bridgend. Yes. Um. I I don't I, I don't think I've mentioned this before. Or well, if I have, I'll just do it again. But um, <laughs> what, what what I love about the Prince of Wales is. In a, in a way, it's almost gone the opposite way to the Skerritt. I'm sort of born and raised in Port nearby. And when I was growing up, in the early 1980s, there were stories about ghosts in the Prince of Wales. TV crews came from you know, America and Japan and places to come and find out what was going on at Prince of Wales. And it all started when people heard uh, sort of an organ piano being played in a locked room in a locked part of this, this pub, which used to be the town the town hall room. The theory, that, I don't know if you're aware of this theory, the theory of the, the stone tape theory, which which suggests that ghostly things are recorded in, in the bricks, the actual bricks of a p- building, might record events and play them back a bit like, like a videotape. Sort of, you know, if something happened... With a lot of emotion in a room, then the, the salts in the rocks might, might record record these things and play them back generations later. But whatever happened, they had all this sort of sophisticated sound equipment there. They had people, you know, from the BBC in places all setting up their equipment to record what was going on. Nobody could solve it. And in the end, it fizzled away, just one of those unsolved mysteries. And the media attention, you know, as it does, it fizzled away as well eventually, and people forgot all about it. But because it was on my doorstep, I thought, well, well you know, I, I remember these stories. And, and I popped back down to have a chat with the landlord. And well, the, the amazing thing was the landlord at the time, a uh, very, very helpful man called Gareth Maund, who's, who's retired since. Gareth said, no, no, the, the activity, it hasn't got away. It's It's escalated, if anything. But Why? Uh, you know, uh, unlike, unlike a lot of places, they don't, they don't put sort of sandwich boards outside saying, the most haunted pub in Bridge End, come and spend the night here. They, they just keep it on the low. But it's only if you go in and ask, you know, so I actually thought you were bothered going in to speak to them, that you find out the details. And some of them, uh, you know, I, I spent uh, you know, m- many an hour there sort of, you know, just exploring and, and talking to the people there. Some of it is quite nasty, this sort of talk of things being thrown at the kitchen staff, which, which could, could injure people. There's one quite eerie story about how the, the room used to be the old Sunday school. And the lady who started the Sunday school, a wealthy local, would go and pick up the poor kids in a horse and cart and bring them back. And on one occasion, the horse was spooked, flipped the cart over, and one of the bo- uh, the children, a nine-year-old boy that she was bringing to Sunday school, was killed just outside. And they believe that boy is now materializing in there. And and there's lots of these really really interesting stories. That I, I even like the fact that the landlord at at the time, Gareth, uh, he was saying that you know he sees so much. He says goodnight to them every night. <laughs> he goes wow. and he says goodnight, uh, <laughs> and he refers to them as friends. You know, he he says. They don't harm him. I had so much information, I couldn't, I couldn't include half of it in the book. But he was saying that he he doesn't want any sort of psychics there or anyone trying to get rid of them because he was saying that at the moment things that are are okay. He's aware of them. He he might see the odd mist, but they're not causing any damage. And what his worry was is if so- someone comes in and clears these ghosts, would they then be replaced with other ghosts, <laughs> which could uh, be a bit more malicious? Yeah. He, he, in a way, he was almost keeping the peace, keeping it on the low. Not not broadcasting it, not 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 making any money from it, you know, not not profiting from being a haunted pub. And he's retired since as well. I think that's, maybe that's why he was quite happy to talk about it. But he's retired since and left his friends there for, for the new owners, I guess. Now,
0: wow! So better the devil you know type of thing.
1: That's quite a new one on me. I, I haven't heard of that before. You know, some people want to keep their ghosts, some want to get rid of them. But I've never heard of someone keeping them <laughs> because they're slightly worried about what might come instead. So,
2: well,
1: you know, you? all these <laughs> theories.
0: It makes sense, though, doesn't it? You know, when you think about it, if they if they were almost like the custodians now of the property, that if you did get rid of them, would something else come in its place? Yeah, I I see the logic.
1: Or would they come back slightly annoyed? Even you know, I don't know how how these things work if they if they work at all but it's an interesting theory
2: the thing that's weird is every hotel would love to have a ghost story attached to it because that just brings people there
0: there's a lot of places i i go to a lot of hotels with my job and there's a lot of places that i'll go into there and i'll say to the staff is this any stories about this place and is this place haunted i always ask because especially if it's an old building because, because uh, I'm interested, you know. So it's where my interest lies. And the amount of times they've said to me, "Well, there are things that go on here, but yeah, we don't talk about them because you know we don't want to become known as a as a haunted hotel because it'll stop yeah. a lot of visitors." But then you look yeah. at places like the Skirid, which openly advertise their place as haunted, and they've got their rooms sold out most nights because. People will stay because they're hoping to find some evidence. Yeah, and of that's, something my, that's else. my
2: point, though. Yeah. Like, I would go to a hotel that I knew was haunted just to see what would happen. And we've discussed this. I mean, I, th-
1: I think yeah, if you're commercially minded, you you want a ghost. Yeah, there's a heck yeah. of a lot of money in it. So. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well,
0: a mate of mine, a very very good mate of mine, got married and he stayed. And I don't know the name of the hotel, but he stayed in a hotel in Chepstow mm. for his for his wedding night and they weren't aware that this was or were they no i think they were aware that it was a haunted hotel which was why they wanted to stay in that particular one and <laughs> they both got into bed bearing in mind this is their wedding night you know so obviously <laughs> there's there's a certain level of expectation you know so yeah. they 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 both got into bed and when they looked up on the ceiling directly above them there was an entity looking down at them they both vacated the room post-taste, yes. and in fact even left their cases and everything in the room, and his father the following day, I believe, went and picked up the cases. They left that quickly in the night.
1: That's a wedding night to
0: remember, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> They didn't get any. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that night. I, think,
1: cause I, I, cause I stayed in a hotel in still last year. No, no, no ghosts that I, that I remember. Well, that's it. I wasn't getting married either, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing, uh, <laughs> that I remember.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's your next project? What do you have in mind next? Well, the, the, the next book that I, I've already written, nobody knows what the
1: heck's going on with the world right now, do we? But the, the, latest, uh, the latest I've heard is that this will be out in November. It's, it's, it's a companion piece to Paranormal Whales, in a way. It's a book called The Illustrated Tales of Wales, and it looks and feels very, very much like Paranormal Whales. Same length, lots and lots of uh, full-colour pictures again, all that kind of thing. But instead of ghosts, it looks at the more sort of legendary... Aspects, So it's things like you know stories about mermaids and giants and King Arthur and tales of the, Mab- the Mabinogion, the the old medieval Welsh prose tales. Very similar to Paranormal Whales, but instead of ghosts, other mythological creatures, we say, then, uh, instead.
2: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, that, that definitely is. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back to talk about that one. Yep, it's another excuse, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, Yeah. the um, another excuse to talk about gory holes. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I've got to say, just as an aside, by the way, that after we did the A to Z of Curious Wales, our lad was walking through town uh, in Monmouth, where we live, with his girlfriend, and I was in work. Uh, He was on his way back from school, and I received a text message on WhatsApp from him, mm-hmm. which was a selfie of him in WH Smith's with his girlfriend holding up your book. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that?
1: <laughs> he, he, should, he should have sent me that on... Uh... And he should on, have on Twitter or something. And, uh, yes, yeah,
0: yeah. Obviously, I I deleted it pretty quick because he's he's not very good looking. But um,
2: oh, you yeah, hey. <laughs> you,
1: no, you could have kidding. just cropped it. So it's just the book left, <laughs> just I know.
2: George's
0: right? it. so girlfriend on <laughs> the book. Yeah, the book hovering yeah. sort of mysteriously in the air. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Should, should so, have done that.
1: I know. I know when, when I published my first book, my mother would so the the excitement of having your first book out there would, would would buy copies in shops. And I was like, well, that's nice, but you're going to end up with a thousand of these things. And, and people who actually want the book can't get it because you've bought them all.
2: So. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: It's that, that initial initial buzz, isn't it, of uh, yeah, of seeing it.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. Listen, thank you very much for joining us again this morning, especially seeing as I know that you had lots to do with this lockdown, all of the different <laughs> yes. jobs that you had to do and all these different places you didn't have to go.
1: Yeah, I've got a, I've got a ghost story to write about in Tondi uh, this afternoon, so I'll be, uh, I'll be very busy with that one. So.
0: Ah, there we go. Excellent job. The book, again, is Paranormal Wales. We got it on Kindle, so we know it's available there. Where else is it available?
1: It sounds a bit silly saying it under the circumstances, but it's it's the usual all, all good bookshops and all the the online places like where you got the you know your Kindle version from. Normally, I would say please support your local bookshop, but. Under the circumstances, I think your your best bet is to get it from the you know, the big the big online yeah. places. But who, who who knows? You know who knows what's going to happen. By the by the time this goes out, maybe the world will have changed again and bookshops will be open. So exactly. um, <laughs> we, we we could hope. But yes, all the usual places. And if you or if you see a copy in Smith's, take a selfie with your girlfriend and uh, or boyfriend, <laughs> <I don't know laughs> which way it is. And um, send it to me on Twitter
0: yeah excellent yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely have to get people doing that <laughs> yeah. and if if our listeners want to get a hold of you where can they find out more information and get a hold of you
1: my social media tag is at review Wales that's one word review Wales on Twitter Instagram and my Facebook page and and I, if they want to go direct to my website that's markreeseonline.com but you know if, if you just go and if you just Google Mark Rees. Crazy Welsh ghost bloke, you know you'll find me. I'm, I'm quite uh, quite uh, quite prominent on Google nowadays, luckily. Sir, so.
0: excellent. Well, thank you once again for joining us, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thank you for a, an excellent book as well. Thank you very
1: much, both. Much appreciated, and uh, well, hopefully speak to you in the in the
2: autumn. Yeah, when you get your next book out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you.
0: I always enjoy speaking to Mark. He's such a upbeat character, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he's very cool.
0: Obviously, I know that this isn't a worldwide thing. You know, we were just talking about Wales. But again, I think that if it's happening in Wales or if it's happening in Timbuktu, if it can prove or disprove ghosts or the paranormal, then that's going to have an effect on everyone, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Definitely. I think maybe there'll be a lot more people that are reading right now because of the lockdown and stuff, so hopefully people will buy his book and... Uh...
0: Yeah, it's definitely worth a read. There's some really nice photos in there as well, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah, that show some of the nice areas of Wales. And, you know, there are worse places to come and visit.
2: Hmm.
0: What was that for? M mm. I
2: <laughs> I like it here.
0: Good, I'm glad. But I live here. Oh, I'm glad.
2: But I did see it through fresh eyes when i first got here and it was really cool very green only thing is it rains a lot so
0: you can't say that because we had a woman complain to us because we said it always rains in wales well i've got to say before she gets in touch again it is nice blue sunny skies outside i'm looking i'm seeing the lovely green trees i'm seeing a jogger jogging across the path in front it's absolutely beautiful outside so you can stick a complaint where the sun don't shine Because it is shining today.
2: And we're stuck here in this little studio.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, don't forget, Mark gave you all of the details of how you can contact him. But you can also contact us. You can contact us via our email address, mail at weirdwankywonderful.co.uk. You can go to our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk, and learn a little bit more about us and the shows that we've produced. You can also look at our back catalogue, or should I say, listen to our back catalogue there of all of our past podcasts as well. That's a really good idea that Mark came up with, by the way. If you have listened to our shows and, on the back of those, decided to buy a book from any of the authors actually that we have featured on our shows, then do a selfie. And and send them through to us. And what we'll do is we'll whack it on our website. That way the author gets a nice little sort of compliment that someone's gone out and read their book on the back of our show. And also it will be a way for us to be able to entice other authors onto our show because we'll be able to say, look, people on the back of it, actually do go out and buy these books.
2: Yep, and it'll also give the person who's holding the book a chance to have their face on our internet page.
0: Exactly, and it makes us feel good because we get to see you guys. (laughs) Don't forget to tune in again next time when we will have some more really cool information for you, I'm sure. But until then, make sure you stay safe and weird, weird, wacky wacky, and and wonderful. wonderful.